Thank you, worship team. You can go ahead and be seated. Oh, man, what a great way to start our morning together by hearing uh, just the amazing testimony of Ted as he shared his faith with us and as we get to experience as a family, as a church body, him entering into the waters of baptism, which is this like soul, this so important soul, like just soul satisfying moment of watching someone become in union with Jesus's death and ultimately his resurrection. It is, it is one of the coolest things that we do here at Crossroads Church. And can we just like give a hand for what God uh, is doing in Ted's life in this church? It's pretty awesome. So encouraged by his testimony. If you're here today and you haven't been baptized, I'd like to encourage you to at least consider it. Whether you've been a believer for a long time or you are fairly new to the faith, if you haven't been baptized, um, I would encourage you to do that. It is a special moment in our faith journey that Jesus actually asked us to do. And at Crossroads, we try to make that process as simple as possible. We have somebody actually on staff who will walk with you through that. And the easiest way um, to connect is to just use our text line. You saw it earlier with Pastor James. Uh, the number is 720-513-1933. And you can just text the word next to that. And somebody will get in contact with you this week um, to just have that conversation with you. All right. So, um, so before we get to the sermon today, I actually just want to give you a personal word of thanks. I know that many of you this last week were praying for me as I was down in the Dominican Republic with our partner, Compassion International. Um, and many of you have already asked this morning, like how that trip went. It was really a fantastic trip. Um, I was down there for a couple of reasons. One is that next year in the early spring, um, we are uh, going to go on a trip to Guatemala where we're actually uh, located as a church, really sponsoring kids there. Uh, and so this was part of me just experiencing compassion so that I can lead one <laughs> later on. But two, we have some opportunities with compassion in Guatemala um, that I just needed to like check out. And uh, Dominican was a good place to get to, to be able to check those out so that we can pray and discern and you can join in that prayer and discernment. One of the opportunities before us as a church is actually to plant uh, a church in Guatemala alongside Compassion uh, to lift entire, an entire community out of um, poverty. In fact, that's a lot of what this trip was about is I was reminded of just the poverty that is um, present in this world, the heartbreaking poverty. In fact, there's a picture, Marcus, if you want to throw up that picture. Uh, this is a little kid named David who was uh, sleeping on his um, family's floor that most of the people that I visited, uh, they make less than $10 a month. Just to give you a perspective, in the Dominican Republic, you need $2 a day in order to drink clean water. And uh, so this is like the depths, depths, depths of poverty in our world. And one of the great encouraging things was to see how through the work of compassion, uh, people are being lifted out of that poverty, being given hope and um, an ability to actually succeed in this life. And so all around, it was a really um, really great trip, and I look forward to our ability uh, next year to join with Compassion overseas as we head to Guatemala together for some of you to be able to visit uh, the child that you have sponsored these last couple of years. So with that said, um, we'll jump into the sermon here. And if you are new with us, uh, let me just take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Matt Manning. Um, I am the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And we are in week three today of a series that we've been doing called The Generation Gap, where we're looking at what does it mean for the generations to come together in this society and in this world, particularly as a church who has a vision to be multi-generational. And so just kind of a quick review of where we've been in week one, we came together and we acknowledged that there is this generational divide that's happening in our culture. 
that there's this divide that's quite toxic, that there's a lot of tension when it comes to the generations, there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of posturing, there's not enough listening. And what we discovered on that day is that we as a church, that our role as believers in Jesus when it comes to this generational conversation is not to contribute to the toxic divide that's happening in our society, but rather to be a means of restoration to realize that God is the one who created generations, that God created age, and it is good. And that biblically speaking, we're to come along every generation, seeing the best in the generations, leveraging the best of the generations in order to bring flourishing to this world, specifically when it comes to our spiritual lives. Then last week, week two, we talked about this idea of what it looks like to live forever. That our world is absolutely fascinated with this idea that we can live forever. And not the way that us Christians talk about it, like, you know, living forever in eternity with God in heaven, but actually living forever on this earth. And one of the things that we discovered as we walked through the story of Hezekiah is that God has actually designed us to live forever on this earth as we begin to invest in generations that come behind us. And in doing so, the the effects of our life ripple in the tens, the hundreds, if thousands of ripples in people's life way beyond our ability to live in this world, to be alive in this life. And that for us as believers... What we came to understand is that an essential part of our faith journey, an essential part of us walking as disciples with Jesus is an investment in the next generation, that this isn't an add-on for us, this isn't optional, that this is a command of God, that we are to invest in the generations that come behind us. Now, those were the first two weeks, and if you missed either of those, you can go back online, you can check them out on YouTube or Crossroads ABC, uh, and you can catch up on the series that way. Today, we're in week three, and we continue our series by really sitting at the feet of grandpa. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 90, Psalm 90. That this is the only Psalm in all of our Bibles that we know for sure was written by the great prophet Moses. He's an old man, he's on his final lap of life before he enters into eternity. And he's taking a moment to look back on his life, to reflect on his life, and here's what he writes to us in Psalm chapter 90, starting in verse one. He says, Lord, You've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dried and withered. Verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, and yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away and we fly away. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That as Moses is writing this psalm, He looks out at us and he says that our days are passing by quickly. That our days are are numbered and they are are not going to be long. That, That our days on this earth are just a breath in the scope of eternity. That they are just parentheses along the road of eternity. And that in those days, that as we live out our lives, that this parenthesis is short. Whether you live to 22 or 35 or 44 or 68 or 79 or 81, regardless of how long you make it in this world, it is just a parenthesis in the scope of eternity. 
and they're moving fast. And just in case you, you know, like come up and go, I don't know if they're feeling so fast, just look in the mirror, right? And you'll be reminded how fast these days are actually moving. And Moses says that the entirety of your life, the entirety of your life is given to you so that you can look back on all of these days so that you might be wise, that you might have a heart of wisdom. Now, in ancient Israel, when it comes to wisdom, wisdom was more than good advice or sound planning. I mean, that's the way that we think of it in the Western world. We think of wisdom as like giving good advice or, or a successful plan comes together that we look at ourselves as wise. But in ancient Israel, it was much more than that. For the Jewish person, wisdom was having the competence to grasp meaning of a situation and to understand what to do with it, how to do it at the right time in the right way. That's what wisdom was for the Jewish person. And as we read the scriptures, we see that wisdom is ultimately given by God. And the way that God chooses to, to share wisdom with us, to give us wisdom, is oftentimes from the older generation passing it on to the younger generation. That this is the way that God has set up wisdom to be transferred in our lives. And one of the great things about being a part of this church is that we really are a multi-generational church. You may or may not know this, but we have families who go here who span four generations, four generations of, of family coming to this church together, which means that we have an amazing group of, of people here from an older generation, people whom I love, people who I deeply admire, people who have spoken into my life and taught me so much about what it looks like to live this life, particularly in pursuit of God. And so as preparation, in preparation for this sermon series, I just reached out to some of the older generation of our congregation and I asked them this question. I said, what lessons have you learned in your life that you wish you could share with the younger generations? Like, there's, is there anything that God has, has given to you in the course of your lifetime that if you had the opportunity to share it with the younger generation, you would? In other words, what wisdom do you have to pass on to the younger generations? That as you look back on your life, like Moses looked back on his life, as God has given you a heart of wisdom, what can you pass on to the younger generations? Now, honestly, when I sent this question out, I didn't really know what I was gonna do with any of the answers, but I started to read them and they were so great. I was so fascinated by them that I thought, man, I just need to build an entire sermon around them. Now, I wish that I could share all of these like lessons of wisdom that the older generation of this church has passed on, but due to time, we're just gonna focus on three of these. I'm gonna ground them in scripture and hopefully we'll all walk away a little bit wiser. You good? Yeah, all right. So buckle up as we sit at the feet of grandma and grandpa here at Crossroads Church and learn from the older generation what it looks like to have a heart of wisdom. Lesson number one is this. Slow down and be more attentive to people and surroundings. You don't have to be first. According to the New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, that we are living in what he calls the age of acceleration. That our world has become increasingly fast-paced through the exponential development of technology and other factors in our world, which led him in his book in 2016 called Thank You for Being Late to make this statement. He says, at this, at our current time, in our current time, the pace of technology and scientific change outstrips the speed with which human beings and societies can adapt. Did you hear that? 
that we are now living at a speed where we are outpacing our capacity to keep up. Is it any wonder that for so many people in our culture that they feel tired, burned out, feeling like a a to-do list, that their do list never ends, feeling behind, overwhelmed in this life. Friedman, the conclusion of his book came to this, that we are living in one of the greatest inflection points in human history that is unequal to any time in the last 500 years. Slow down. Be attentive. You don't have to be first. Even more important than what the constant hurry is doing to our work lives, our family lives, our relationships, our friendships, is what it's doing to our spiritual lives. Dallas Willard, one of the great American philosophers of our time, he was a a theologian, as he was rounding the last lap of his life on this earth, looking back on his life, much like Moses was looking back on his, he wrote this in 2013, the conclusion that he came to, or one of the conclusions that he came to as he looked back on his life is this, is that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Slow down, be more attentive, Realize that you don't have to be first. Psalm 31 is all about the quietness of our souls. It's, it's about this invitation from God to slow down. The psalmist writes in Psalm 131, starting in verse 1, these words. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As the psalmist is, is writing these words, he's acknowledging that there's an invitation from God to slow down, to experience the peace and calmness that comes with knowing God. And the way that he chooses to compare it is like a mother with, his, with her young child. A mother with her young child. That most of us have witnessed even experienced in some ways the psalm calming effect that a mother has on her young child. Like the truth of the matter is, is there's safety with mom, isn't there? There's, there's peace in her voice. There's stillness in her company. And God, like a mother, invites us to sit with him, to slow down, to be okay with what is, to experience the peace in this world. And the reality is is that when we begin to slow down our lives, we can indeed become a more attentive spouse, a more intentional roommate and friend, a more present parent, a more engaged neighbor, a more faithful follower of Jesus. We find the measured gate of love in our lives. And we realize that as we begin to slow down and, and walk a slower pace, that this slower pace helps us resist the desire of the flesh and not gratifying it. We begin to realize what what Paul said when it comes to this gate of love as we walk this slow pace that that love is kind and it's patience. It's it's trustworthy and and full of hope. When we slow down the pace of our lives, we, we can allow interruptions into our lives. We can make room for rest knowing that God uses the regular rest of our lives to unleash a freer and more durable love. 
in a world of speed and acceleration where we are constantly climbing the ladder of success in our careers, where the, where the mantra from culture is do better, do more, do faster, and that this is the purpose of your life to hear the whisper of Jesus inviting us in to slow down and to experience calm and peace, to realize that the righteousness, the success, the affirmation of our lives is all wrapped up in the cross of Jesus where it was all accomplished for us. In the age of acceleration, to hear the quiet whisper of Jesus' voice as he invites us to slow down and to experience peace is a world in which all of us desire. Slow down. Be more attentive to people and surroundings. Remember, you don't have to be first. Lesson number two from the grandparents of this church is this. The things that you think are all important today will be insignificant later. Focus on what matters. The history is tattered with stories of people who made decisions for today and lost focus on what mattered most. Maybe the greatest when it comes to the business world is the story of Kodak. If you're my age or older, you'll remember that Kodak was photography, that they owned the market in the 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s. Most people don't even realize that Kodak's researchers are the ones who actually developed the digital photography that we use today in our cameras and in our phones. But the reality is that today that Kodak is just a shadow of its once great self. Because in the early 90s, the board of directors for Kodak decided not to invest in the technologies, but to double down on the paper photography that made them so much money that in the 90s, they chose to make a profit today and they forgot that the whole reason that their company existed was to help people capture memories in their lives. And so today, they're an echo. They're just a shadow of their former selves because they lost what truly mattered. They lost what truly mattered. See, the things that you think are all important today will be insignificant later. Focus on what matters. Or the way that the Apostle Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, was like this. Look carefully then how you walk. Here's... Here's the slow pace. Here's the slow gates of love. Not as unwise, but as wise. Here's our theme. How do we do it? By making the best of our time. Realizing that the days among us are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Like all of us out of personal experience can realize that or have lived out this in our lives where we get up early, we go to bed late, we expend a lot of energy, we're very busy, we don't watch TV, we don't give ourselves over to a social media binge, we work really hard on what's all important today and still, and still as we close our day, we don't get much done on the things that really matter. That this was a, this was a common question of the younger generation in the survey that I sent out in preparation for this sermon series. Almost every single young person asked a question to the older generation. If they had an opportunity to ask an older question, ask an older generation a question, almost every single one of them answered in the same way. And it went something like this, that every generation has a lot of anxiety, challenges, pressures, etc. While these challenges are unique and relative to each generation, they are still overwhelming and hard to navigate. How did you know... How did you know what was important? Like older generation, the younger crowd, they're looking for it. How did you know? How did you prioritize, prioritize your life so that you did not get overwhelmed by it all? 
Well, at least according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, he says the key to all of this is understanding what the will of the Lord is. That God's revealed will tells us those things that he considers inherently good, the things that matter most in our lives, the things that we're to prioritize our lives around. Like when we come to, let's just take the Ten Commandments, for example. In Exodus chapter 20 is where we find them. And we could pick any one of the Ten Commandments to, to make this point, but let's just use the one commandment that says that we are not to bear false witness. Why? Because God values the truth. That God says this is, this is a priority. This is, this is something that matters. Truth matters. This is God's revealed revealed will in our lives. See, understanding how to prioritize your life how to focus your life around the things that matter begins with immersing yourself with Scripture so that you might know what God's will is. That Scripture is, is given to us so that, when, so, that when, so that in our choice, in our priorities, in our values, we might know God's will. For example, the Bible does not tell you whether you should be a doctor or a lawyer or a warehouse worker or a stay-at-home mom. Like you'll never, you'll never find that in the scriptures. But what you will find in the scriptures is that God has created you with gifts and passions. That God has put people in your life, both older and younger than you, who can speak to your life, who can, who can give you wisdom, who can help you discern where it is that you're to move in your life. And so as a person who is who's struggling in their career or maybe as a person in high school or college who's looking at a career in front of them and wondering what is it that I should do? Scripture says, man, like dive in, learn who you are, learn who God created you to be. What are your passions? What are the gifts that he's given to you? Go to your friends and your family and the mentors in your life and go, what do you see in me? As a step into your vocation. Or take another example in scriptures. Nowhere in scriptures will you find the name of the person that you're supposed to marry. Like, you know, it's not just gonna show up one day highlighted and be like, look, you, you gotta find this person. Like, that's never gonna happen as you read the scriptures. But what the scripture does do for us is time and time again, it tells us what a godly man and a godly woman look like. So that as we live our lives looking for a partner in this world, that we should come and find someone who embodies such qualities. In any decision, we will not go wrong if we seek to make it according to God's revealed will. This is part of what Jesus meant when he, when he said to the crowds that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, that God sets certain parameters, certain boundaries, and within these boundaries are so many godly paths that we can take as we pursue God's will. That's the first step of understanding what it looks like to focus on the things that matter. But the second part is that we have to become a discerning person. We have to become a person of discernment. And the only way that that happens is through the discipline of, of prayer. Two decades ago or so, a man in my life who had lived much more life than I had spoke to me some very practical advice along these lines. He said, every day I wake up realizing that I have more to do in my life than I can ever accomplish and I go to God and I just pray this prayer, God, I have more to do today than I know what to do with. I need your help deciding what to prioritize in my life. And then he says, I'm just quiet. I just sit in the stillness. I just sit in the calm. And he goes, almost every morning after a few moments, God reveals to me what it is that I need to do to that day. And almost always it involves something to do with work, something to do with my family, and something to do with my relationships. 
He said, these are the things that I need to pay attention to, which means that I have to temporarily neglect the other demanding issues in my life while important, they are not the priority in this moment. Those words have shaped a habit in my life where like him, almost every morning I wake up and I go, God, today I have more to do than I can even imagine doing. I need your help to know where to prioritize my life. And after a few minutes of quiet, almost every day, God reveals to me what it is that I need to do. I write them down on a sheet of paper and I start moving in the way that God leads me. The things that you think are all important today will be less significant tomorrow. Focus on what matters most. Lesson number three is this, is that one will receive disappointments for sure. Life is a series of hills and valleys. God cares, even though we may not realize it. Listen, God is the ultimate present one. That he has invaded our life by grace. He has overwhelmed us with mercy. That God is for us. God is with us. God dwells in us. And the hope that we have as believers, when life deals its disappointments to us, when we walk through what we would call the valley of the shadow of death, is more than some theological structure. It's more than some wisdom principle that guides our everyday life. That our hope rests on the loving, faithful, powerful promise that God is always with us, that it is the ultimate gift that God gives to us, that he gives us this gift of himself so that he knows, that we know that he is with us. See, that our hope when we walk through the valley of our lives, our hope is not in the understanding of why God has allowed suffering and trials, that as we walk through the valley, our hope is, is not in the belief that somehow we will just tough our way through it, pull up our bootstraps, that our hope is not in the doctors or the pastors or the friends or the family, that our hope is not found in the ideas and the things of this world, that though we may look at all of those for temporary help, they are not the source of our ultimate hope, that our ultimate hope rests in the faithful and graciousness that God's presence is with us always. That's where our hope lies. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna give you two verses and I'm gonna encourage you to memorize them. These are two amazing verses that we find about God's presence in our lives that provide true and lasting hope when the things that you've hoped in are lying before you broken into pieces. The first verse is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus is with his disciples. These are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He looks at them and he says this, "'Behold, I am with you always.'" Will you just say that out loud with me? Behold, I am with you always. One more time. Behold, I am with you always. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples while he was commissioning them to give their lives to his great redemptive mission. That Jesus ends what we call the great commission with these words because he knew the world in which he was sending the disciples into and he knew what they would face. 
He knew that the way, that their way, that they were about to travel would be difficult and at times their job would be totally uncomfortable. He knew that they would face constant opposition and misunderstanding and accusation and rejection. He knew that they would be chased and imprisoned, even beaten. And he knew that many of the people that he was looking at in the face that day would ultimately give their lives for the mission that he was calling them to. And in all of that, his great promise to them is I'm not sending you anywhere where I won't also be. That you will not suffer alone. That I'll always be with you. Behold, I am with you always. That Jesus knew, come on, he knew, he knew what they were going to face. And so he gave them what they would need the most. He gave them what they needed the most. He gave them assurance that they were with him. Behold, I am always with you. The second verse we find in the Old Testament, it's Joshua 1.5. It says this, that I will not leave you or forsake you. Will you say that out loud with me? I will not leave you or forsake you. One more time. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is the most repeated promise in all of our scriptures. That any time God's people came up against something that was hard, difficult, uncertain, as they walked through trials, as they walked through suffering, as they walked through the shadow of death in their lives, it was God that was there reminding them of this overwhelming promise that he would neither leave them nor forsake them. No matter how hard the situation was, no matter what God's people's response was to those circumstances, that God was with them and he was for them. It is the significant reminder to all of us that there is protection for everyone who suffers. That in all of the emotional and physical and mental and spiritual ups and downs, on the good days and in the bad days, one thing is for sure, that God is with you. Because for God's people, those of us who, who have given our lives to Jesus, that it comes with this promise that God is not just with us somewhere out there, but that God is with us in here. That God comes and, and he actually dwells our bodies, he, he dwells our hearts, that he, he lives in us. That he's not just with us and for us, but he's actually in us. That's what we hold to that we trust in Jesus in that way. And we heard as much at the beginning of the service with, with Ted's baptism testimony. As he's sharing his testimony of faith, I don't know if you, you caught it or not, but he said when the hard times came, it was a friend who came alongside him and shared Jesus. And in that moment, he realized that he could not do it by himself anymore. He could not do it by himself anymore. He had to ask Jesus for help. He said, I had to accept him as my Lord and Savior. See, the reality is, is that every one of us eventually finds ourselves in a circumstance that's too hard for us to navigate by ourselves. That every single one of us finds ourselves in the trials and the tribulations of this world, dealing with suffering, dealing with the moments of if God is there with us, if God is really for us. And in those moments, in those moments, the great truth is that Jesus looked upon our pain. 
He looked upon our suffering and he did not turn his face away from us, but rather he entered into this world to experience the pain and suffering that we experience in our lives. By his great mercy, he entered this earth, that God entered into the suffering. And for the believer, the celebration that we have, the joy, the anticipation, the hope is absolutely tied to our confidence that Jesus rose from the grave, that the resurrection is his, that he died on that cross to pay for our sins. And so the cross and the resurrection, they come together as, as the historic turning point in the ages where suffering is not evidence that God is, is not here. That our suffering and trials that we face is not the evidence that, that God has abandoned us, but the reality that the God, that God is there and he says to you that you are more flawed because of your sin than you can even imagine. And then at the same time, he looks at you and he says, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed possible. And we know this is true because he was willing to enter into the suffering in order to have you, and in that, you get him. If you've never made Jesus the savior of your life, we're gonna put the text line back on the screen. 720-513-1933. You can just text the name of Jesus and we'll have a conversation with you this week about what does it look like to truly follow him. On my way home on Friday from the Dominican Republic, as I landed into Denver, I looked at my phone like most people did and there was all of these notifications and most of them had to do with the great theologian and pastor Tim Keller passing away at the age of 72 to pancreatic cancer that Tim Keller was one of the most influential pastors of our century and one of the most influential voices um, when it comes to theological understanding that myself, Pastor Chris, and Pastor James, he's, he's one of the ones that we listen to. On Monday, when it was all but certain that, uh, his, that cancer would bring an end to his life on this earth, he wrote these words. He said, if the most powerful person. The power behind the universe loves you with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you can see that on the cross. What is it that makes you afraid? Like, if God is for you, then, then what do you fear? What do you have to fear in this world? What amazing last words to be remembered by. And so here's the question for you. This week, as you ponder your own life, regardless of your age or your generation, what has God shown you that you can pass on to someone else? As you, like Moses, reflect back on your life, knowing that all of it was given so that you might have a heart of wisdom, what wisdom has God given to you that you can pass on to others in your life? If God gave you that opportunity, would you be prepared to share it? Would you be ready to give that to someone who needs it? See, God has given us age. He has given us the generations in order that we might look back on our lives so that we might be wise. Don't hold on to that just for yourself. Pass it on to others. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and God, with a heart of gratefulness, a heart of thanksgiving, God, I thank you for the saints of this church, for many who are even present in this room right now who have, 
who have walked with you for decades, five, six, seven, eight decades of their life that they have only ever known you. And in their knowing of you, as they look back on their lives, that you have made them wise. Father, I'm grateful for their willingness today to pass on a bit of the wisdom that you've given to them onto us. So that as we walk out of here today, that we might be wise. God, we thank you for being a multi-generational church. We thank you for the way that you move here. How in your presence there is peace. How in our suffering, we know that you're there. How through your word, you show us what matters in this life. May we run after those things. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We come together as a family, as a body, remembering the death of Jesus on the cross. That it was in his suffering that we're made whole. That it's by the work of the cross that we can have such confidence that our hope is in him. And so today as a family, we remember Jesus' body being broken as the payment for our sins we eat and we celebrate together. And we remember that by Jesus' blood that we are given life. And so today we drink. Over the next 20 minutes or so, if you need prayer, we'd invite you to to make your way in-house to the banner for prayer. Online, you can click the button. We pray with you that way. But I'm gonna invite everybody in-house to go ahead and stand as we sing together in worship to Jesus. Today, really, our songs span the generations and we begin with a song that will speak to the senior souls here as we sing it out together. Let's do it.